Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's great books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 200 of the great books over the next 10 years and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each of the great books. Well, right next to me here on my desk, I have all 52 books from my 2023 reading list. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up each book in the order in which I read it and share the one thing that comes to my mind when I pick up that book. I don't have any notes in front of me. I have not prepared what I'm going to say for each of these books. I'm just going to say the first thing that comes to my mind. I'm also going to share how long it took me to read each of these books. This is where the rubber meets the road for me. This is my final exam. So I started this project as a way to challenge myself to read more books, but I I didn't just want to blow through a bunch of books and not remember what I read. So this is my end of the year analysis to see what I can recall from the books that I've read. I started this reading project in 2017, and I just I, I, I set a goal to read 52 books per year. And so I did that 2017 through 2022. And then this year was a shift in the project to where I started reading the great books. So I dropped the the goal of reading 52 books per year. And instead, I made a list of 200 of the great books. And I plan to go through those over the next 10 or more years. For each of the great books, I do plan to pair it with a guidebook of sorts that will help me to better understand each of the great books. I'm doing this project on my own. I'm not part of a university or or a group setting where I'm reading these together. So I, I need help in, in understanding some of these books. So I try to read the great book first and then read the guidebook afterwards. This is my final exam for the year. I structured this reading project like a school schedule. And so uh, for the great books project, I start each year just reading straight through the Bible. And that is in January and February. So I, I choose a different translation, different version, and just read straight through it. So I did that this year. I'll highlight that in the next segment. In March, I start reading the great books. And since this was the first year, March was when I started my great books portion of this project. And so March through June is when I I read the great books from oldest to newest, and then uh, also where I'm pairing a guidebook with those great books. I take a break in July. I call that my summer break. And I read books from my to-be-read pile. I just have a pile in my office here where I mostly newer books where I'm I'm, I'm buying them or they've been recommended to me, that sort of thing. And they pile up over time, and and so I just kind of pick from from that pile and read those during uh, in, in July. August, I'm back to the great books. That is fall semester. So August through November, I'm back to the great books. And then December, I take my winter break where, again, I just read books that, uh, that I, I want to read that are not uh, part of the great books project. So th- this episode, I... I do this every year. It's it's also a great way for you to to learn about some books and maybe learn about some books that you may want to add to your own reading list, maybe your 2024 reading list. So I'm going to share uh, about my favorite books. I'm going to share things that I liked about some of these books. And, and what I hope is that it sparks an interest to where you may want to read some of these books. 
So I'm going to geek out here. I'm going to go into some of the stats for the year, the reading stats. And then this episode will be split into four other segments after this one. So segments two through four, I'll cover roughly 17 books in each segment. And then in segment five, I'm going to share some of the following. Uh, My top five books for the year, a few overarching insights or ideas that kind of stuck out to me through a lot of the books. Uh, so maybe ideas that that I saw pop up over and over. And then I'll give a quick look into 2024 and what I have planned for the new year. So let me just cover some reading stats before I get into the uh, the next segment. I ended up, I, I, like I said, I, I don't have this requirement anymore of reading 52 books like I did at the beginning, but I did end up at 52 books. So old habits are, are hard to, to break, I guess. Uh, but, I, but I ended up at the 52 book mark and that was 17,046 pages total. That was 453 hours of reading. So I'm a nerd. I track this stuff. When I start reading, I I use an app. I hit start. I hit end. So this this is pretty pretty close to the the actual time of of reading. So 453 hours, 16 minutes, and 13 seconds. Uh, That was 50 pages per day that I averaged. The longest book that I read was Herodotus's Histories. That took me 35 hours and 40 minutes. The shortest was a book of poetry called Gilgamesh's Snake. And that was uh, like a 17 page book and it just took me 10 minutes to read. So there are some long books in there. Uh, I also counted the Bible. I guess I could count the Bible in there as uh, the, the longest book longer than Herodotus. And I'll, I'll, I'll share how long it took me to read, read the Bible. But other than the Bible, Herodotus took me the longest. What's, what's, Rather interesting here is that these times and pages and all that correspond very closely to last year's reading. So last year I read 52 books and there were 17,110 pages. So just uh, like 50 more pages than than this year. So not a whole lot. And um, that I, I spent 447 hours reading last year. So fi- 453 this year, 447 last year. So only a six hour difference in time, which is, I think it's interesting, just you know, 365 days and for there only to be uh, six hours difference in reading time is, is pretty, is pretty fascinating. Uh, I, I, last year I averaged 48 pages per day. So I was, I was uh, two pages higher per day um, this year. So now let's go into segment two, where I cover the first 17 books of this, uh, of to my 2023 reading list. All right, here are the first set of books for 2023. I started by reading the Bibliotheca version of the Bible. This is a beautiful five book set. So the Bible's broken up into five books. It's broken up first into the five books in Former Prophets. And the second volume is the Latter Prophets. The third volume is the Writings. The fourth volume is the Apocrypha. And the fifth volume is the New Testament. So it it's... Uh, it's it's called a reader's bible but i've been eyeing this for for a while the the books are so beautiful they feel like a novel they feel like a hard just a beautiful hardcover book and there's no verse markings so uh you you're just you go in and it's it's like you're reading a novel it doesn't look like a lot of the bibles where there's verses and chapters and uh, numbers all over the place it's just it's a it's a wonderful reading experience and i thoroughly enjoyed this version it's also a slightly different 
different translation than I'm I'm used to. And so that just even gave it a little of a of a twist to kind of have things stick out that that I would maybe have become so familiar in in other translations to where I would just blow right past it. So I thoroughly enjoyed this version. It took me 97 hours and five minutes to read the entire Bible. And and again, it it took two months. I actually finished right on February 28th, the last day of of February. So I just kind of know going forward, reading straight through the Bible is going to take two months. This year I did add the Apocrypha and uh, that was pretty neat. So for the five volumes, the first volume where it's it's the five books of the Torah uh, and then the former prophets, that took me 31 hours. The latter prophets took 14 and a half hours. The writings, which are like the, the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, things like that. Uh, that was 16 hours and 45 minutes. The Apocrypha took me 16 hours, and the New Testament took me a little over 18 and a half hours. I'd, I'd say the the main thing, if I'm to, to think of one thing that, that pops up when uh, thinking back to reading through the Bible this year, it would be that I, f- I, I focused heavily on the 12 tribes of Israel. And I'd never really done that before. And so I just, uh, when they're first mentioned, and then I would kind of pay attention to, to this person was from this tribe. Uh, these tribes were exiled to this area. The, these other tribes were exiled to a different area. Uh, did they return? I, I just really paid attention and more so than I ever have before in this reading of the Bible. So I I did this for the very first time in 2020, where I read straight through the Bible. And then this year was the second time. In 2020, I, I, I found this, or the thing that stuck out was just this, this idea of the curse. And I saw the curse go through throughout the Bible. And it's the last word in the the Old Testament and, and how it was arranged in that Bible, uh, you see it right away on in Genesis. You see it the last word of the of the of the Old Testament, and then you see it like on the actual last page of the Bible in Revelation. It it, it gets resolved. The curse gets gets resolved, uh, and it's just it was incredible. So, I think each year as I'm reading, I'm I'm not necessarily planning on looking for something, but I I'm, I'm hoping kind of one thing just sticks out and, and I kind of followed that thread throughout the Bible. So this year was really paying attention to the 12 tribes of Israel and, and that uh, made for quite a, quite a fun reading of, of the Bible this year. After the Bible in March, I started with the great books. And when I made the great books list, the oldest book that was on most of those lists was the Epic of Gilgamesh. So that's what I started with this year. And I started with the Stephen Mitchell translation. This is uh, what I found out later to be a, not not a translation, but a version to where Stephen Mitchell says that he read other translations in, in, the, uh, in English and then created this one as opposed to going directly from the original language. Uh, the Stephen Mitchell translation was a fantastic place to start in that it is, it is so readable. Uh, the, with the Epic of Gil- Gilgamesh, we... We are missing portions of it, but this one just, it, he just kind of made it smooth and, and made the story a delightful way to first encounter the story. Because I, I ended up reading some other translations, and I'll get into those, but um, this first reading, it just, it blew me away. 
and it was such an amazing start to the great books. And the thing, the one thing that I, I remember about Gilgamesh is that there was a flood story in Gilgamesh and that blew me away. I, I had heard that there were f- flood deluge stories in other uh, cultures and in other civilizations in in other literature, but I had never read any of them. I, I was just familiar with the Noah story in Genesis. And so coming across another flood story that was written before Genesis, that it has a ton of similarities, was was just striking. And uh, so I, I loved the entire epic of Gilgamesh. I, the the story's fantastic. I can't get it out of my head. I, I dove deep into it this year. But this first reading of it, the thing that really stuck out was that that uh, deluge story, that that flood story, and, and how similar it was. Uh, but but how different it was as well to where uh, there's there's the the reason for the flood and the ramifications afterward are, are very different. And, um, uh, so that was, that was quite interesting that, uh, this Stephen Mitchell version took me three hours and 12 minutes to read. After that, I read the Epic of Gilgamesh, uh, translated by Andrew George. And this is kind of the standard version of Gilgamesh. And you may think, why did you read different translations? Well, one, I just, I, I loved the story so much that I wanted to read it again. And then as I was reading it and sharing it on social media, people would write back and say, Hey, you should check out this translation. Uh, it's very good. Or you should check out this, this, uh, other version of, of it. And, and so that's where I just kind of started picking up different books along the way. I, I, I think at first I had just planned to read the, the one version, but you can get through Gilgamesh in two to three hours. And so it's, it goes by pretty quickly. So it reading other translations, it wasn't like this huge slog to get through, but Andrew George, his translation is really the standard for the Epic of Gilgamesh. This one took me seven hours and 25 minutes to read. But again, this, that's the, that's the Epic of Gilgamesh and a number of, of, other writings that are in the book. So the introduction and all that, just to, to get to learn more about, about the Epic of Gilgamesh. My guidebook for Gilgamesh was a book called Civilizations of Ancient Iraq. And this was, this was a, a fun read and just kind of helped lay the groundwork for where Gilgamesh came from, the, the, the civilization where Gilgamesh uh, arose. And so I learned things like Gilgamesh being an actual person, um, in, and uh, a, a leader, but uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh being written later, later on, but uh, still probably around 2100 B- BC. I, I, uh, I, I told you I liked Gilgamesh, and so I ended up reading one more version, and this was the Sophus, Sophus Hell translation and uh, three essays by Sophus Hell as well. I, I loved this one. The essays were fantastic, and they really helped me to understand Gilgamesh more. This one took me six hours and 52 minutes to read. Again, that was three essays plus the Epic of Gilgamesh. Uh, Going back to the civilizations of ancient Iraq, that one took me seven and a half hours to read. And that one's by Benjamin Foster and Karen Pollinger Foster. So going back to the Sophus Hell edition of Gilgamesh, uh, this was book six for the year. I'm, I'm counting the Bible, even though the Bible was split up into five books, I'm just counting that as one. So the Bible, then I had Gilgamesh with uh, Stephen Mitchell, then the Epic of Gilgamesh, Civilizations of Ancient Iraq, and then book six here, uh, actually book five, Gilgamesh, um, Sophus, 
Sophus Hell edition. And I want you to remember Sophus Hell because he comes up later in this year's reading. So after that, after Gilgamesh, I took a, a detour into ancient Egypt. And so I started with this uh, Penguin Classics version called Writings from Ancient Egypt. And this just had a number of stories. What was what was great is it had some funeral, uh, like things that would be sa- said at a uh, for the dead. Uh, it had um, just a number of different writings, uh, some writings from the Book of the Dead, uh, just neat, neat kind of like a purview overview of of some of the writing from from this ancient civilization that lasted almost 3000 years. So you had you had different parts uh different time periods when these writings would have would have occurred. But I <laughs> I got so interested in this that I ended up reading six other books about Egypt. Again, I'm I've made a list of 200 books. I need to, you know, keep kind of moving on so I, I don't get bogged down. And here in book two, I was like, oh, I, I'm just gonna add like six guidebooks for Egypt. But I just I became so fascinated with with Egypt from these writings. And so I, I ended up getting these these six other books, and I'll I'll highlight these here. Um but so writings from ancient Egypt that took seven hours and 11 minutes. The next book I got, and this was kind of the main guidebook I was going for with Egypt was the rise and fall of ancient Egypt. And the way I learned about this one is the writings from ancient Egypt book was translated by Toby Wilkinson. And so I looked him up and he had this book, the rise and fall of ancient Egypt. And so this was the guidebook that I picked. And the, the one thing that stood out in this book, because this is, is kind of a grand overview of, of nearly 3,000 years of history, the, the one thing that stuck out was the relative consistency of the culture of Egypt. And uh, if, if you know Egypt very well, that may sound like the most absurd thing you've ever heard, but just hear me out and contrast it with like art from our time. So art in Egypt, it, there were a lot of similarities over those 3,000 years. They would do art a certain way. Uh, they, w- they would draw things they w- or, or carve things, draw things a certain way. And yes, there were there were changes, but like as a whole for 3,000 years of history, there, there were relatively few changes, but this was you know, relatively few changes in the the gods, the, the, the way it was worshiped, the way the, the country or, or the civilization was, was set up. And so that, that was kind of the main thing that, that I pulled from, from this, this book, the rise and fall of ancient Egypt. Here are some other books that I picked up about Egypt. One was an art book, and this was a, a Toshin book. It's called Egyptian Art. And I thought this was so stunning. I, I, like, I, I could not believe how beautiful this artwork was, how, can, how consistent it was. Um, this was basically drawings made by archaeologists who were, who were finding some of these things. And, and a lot of these things were, were ruined after, um, after they were drawn, um, and, and so these drawings are, are, in some cases, the only things we have. But they would draw and color out the columns that they would come across, the detail on the columns. And it was like just turning every page in this book was so startling. And to see this art from three, four, five thousand years ago was incredible. And it, it 
I, I'm really glad I did that. I, I need to do that with more of these great books in, in, in some of the guidebooks is to pair it with an art book because to see the art of these civilizations is, is incredible, but it really brings to life a lot of, of what I, I was reading about in, in their history as well. Next, I got another um, Tashin book, but this one was on King Tut. And well, King Tut's on the on the front, but it's really it's it's there's a lot of pictures in it, but it, it's a description of a lot of the tombs that are in Egypt. And so it shows a lot of what's in these tombs. It gives a lot of information about how funerals were done and and that kind of thing. But again, just really fascinating to see the artwork of these of these places and uh and, and just the the way they would do funerals, their their ideas of, of funerals and that kind of thing. Uh, the the first Tashin Egyptian art book took me four hours to get through. The King Tut one took me four and a half hours to get through. Next up, I read a book called Akhenaten and the Religion of Light. So you heard me make that statement that Egypt was, there was relative kind of consistency to the society and all that. Well, along comes Akhenaten in, uh, I think roughly like uh, 13, in the 1300s BC. And this, he was the Pharaoh and he, he took everything and just kind of flipped it on its head. And it was such a shock to the Egyptian system that the next Pharaoh who was King Tut, that Pharaoh just put everything back to how it was before. And so this, what, but what's fascinating is you can go into a museum and see Egyptian sculptures and art, and you, you, you can identify when it was this pharaoh because the the sculptures were done in a different way the art was done in a different way the beliefs were changed uh there were there were tons of gods in egypt and when akhenaten was around he went to one god the god aten and so it just shifted everything like going from polytheism to monotheism i i just i can't imagine what those shifts must must have been like to this relatively consistent culture like just flipping everything on its head but it was really fascinating to read about that pharaoh so if you have any interest in egypt and you have not uh, come across akhenaten yet this this was a really fun and interesting book to go through the next book was the tale of of Senue and other ancient egyptian poems and so uh i just read like some of the tales in here the tale of Senue, the uh tale of the eloquent eloquent peasant and and then the shipwrecked sailor so these were just some fun rather short stories to go through the uh eloquent peasant was was just a funny one because uh it's this this peasant who can can speak well and uh you see him go go through uh different different tales there uh so that that was a good one that was an hour and 20 minutes and then i read one the stories of setney uh kamwas and i don't remember the story at all in this one this is one of these where i've i've forgotten but um but yeah, this, this book just had a number of different uh, stories from ancient Egypt as well. That one took me an hour and 12 minutes to get through. Now, let me cover the last book for this segment. And this was book 13 for the year. And these are the poems and the hymns of Inhedawana. And these were translated by Sophus Hell. So you heard Sophus Hell's name when I read Gilgamesh. Well, as I was reading Gilgamesh, 
I came across, I, well, I started looking into Sophus Hell and other things that he had done. And again, I was reading Gilgamesh in March, and I saw that Sophus Hell had another book coming out in April. And it was this Complete Poems of Enhedawana. And so that got me intrigued. And I also saw that the cover of the book said the world's first author. And here I had come across, I, I had created a list of 200 of the greatest books with Gilgamesh being the, the oldest one. And here I come across something that says, perhaps there is a older author. And we don't know the author of Gilgamesh. There, there's some idea that of who it might be. But when, when we talk about the epic of Gilgamesh, there's not like a, a author we, we generally say, uh, as opposed to like a uh, Homer, uh, Odyssey, and Iliad. And usually on these great books list, the first author we come across is Homer. Uh, even these ancient Egypt tales, that there's no, you, you, you don't attribute those to an author. It was just, um, so you've got Homer as kind of the first author, but Epic of Gilgamesh usually listed as the first story or, or one of the first books that we have. Well, along comes this book and April of 20. 23 and just fascinating timing. I've, you know, I've, I've just started reading the great books in March and in April, this new old book comes out and it blew me away because in Hedawana was two or 300 years before Gilgamesh in Hedawana was 1500 years before Homer. She was a priestess in the city of Ur. Ur may sound familiar as that is the birthplace of Abram. Uh, Abraham in the Bible, the father of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And here you've got a priestess from that city. So you have the potential for the first author not being a war epic writer, male of Homer, but a female priestess in Mesopotamia in, in the city of Ur. Just fascinating. Uh, so her poems, um, she has this the first poem where it's a hymn to Inanna, and that is Ishtar. So we see Ishtar in the Epic of Gilgamesh, the god of uh, goddess of of, of chaos, sex, all, all all sorts of different things. But Inanna is her Sumerian name, and and uh, Inhedawana writes a poem to her, kind of entreating her for her help. Um, and then in there's there's another set of of poems where they're called the te uh, temple hymns and in, in Hedawana is going around Ur and uh, the other areas that her father uh, has Sargon has, has conquered and he is in charge of these areas. And she's kind of going all, to all the different temples and telling us of the God that is worshiped in, in, in what city each of these temples is. So it's just a fascinating read. Sophus hell at the beginning uh, or at the end of this book also has three essays in here. So you can learn a lot about Inhedawana. I, I went deep into the Inhedawana trail this year, learned a lot, joined a tutorial with Sophus Hell about both Gilgamesh and Inhedawana, and was just fascinated by this, that perhaps there is a new oldest author that, uh, that we're just discovering. So that's the first set of, of books here. Uh, I'll, I'll continue on in segment three. 
All right, continuing on here after my deep dive into Egypt and then within Hedawana, I got into the Rig Veda. And this one I had a hard time with getting getting going into it. I just, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand how many gods there were, what the god's purpose was, what, uh, what, what did each god do and that kind of thing. So I, I was very lost. And the, the version of the Rig Veda that I was reading was translated by Wendy Doniger. And so what I did is I looked her up and she had a book called The Hindus and Alternate or Alternative History. And so I read, I got that and it's a huge book, but I read the first 200 pages of that and it talked a lot about the Rig Veda and, and, and it talked about the Hindus as well and in history and all that. But, but there was a lot of information about the Rig Veda that, that helped me a lot in kind of getting a overview of what was going on. So I had started the Rig Veda, I shelved it, I read the Hindus, the uh, part about the Rig Veda, and then that really helped me kind of gauge what was going on. Then I went back to the Rig Veda and, and finished that. Rig Veda took me five hours and 41 minutes to to read. I don't remember a whole lot about it. I remember Soma being in quite a few of the stories and there being uh, stories of creation and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. And, and then just stories of, of the different of the different gods. So that was, um, that was the next great book on the list. After that, I read the Enuma Elish. And so I, I went back to Mesopotamia, back to Babylonian. And this is the creation story, the Babylonian creation story. It took me two hours and 50 minutes to read. And what I, I have not covered this one on the podcast yet, because I know it's one of those really important ones. And I just haven't had time. I, I, I know I need to reread it. And, and then I, I need to cover it. But I, I really want to know this one well, because I, I think I'm going to see this a lot in, in other books that I read for this project. Or, and then just also, it's good to know what the Mesopotamians or the people of Mesopotamia, what the Babylonians, uh, how, they, how they viewed the creation uh, story. So that I, I don't have one thing to pull from this right now, but I, I do plan to go through this again very soon here and, and to be able to cover it on the podcast episode. But this this is one of those important books. Next up, I, I read here, the next five books are kind of guidebook-ish. Uh, but also, I just, I once I started reading these great books, I, I realized I had huge gaps in my knowledge. And so um, the first book here was just an interesting one. It's called Moses Among the Idols. And what this book did was to look at Moses and compare him to how idols were treated at that time in Babylon. Babylon. And so the, the idea being that uh, a lot of the Hebrew Bible would have been put together in Babylon. And so they, this author, Amy Below, goes through and shares what an idol would have been to the Babylonians and how Moses was God's idol. And it was a very interesting argument. It, it helped to make sense of some things that are kind of weird in the Moses story. And so I, I liked this book. I covered it on, on the podcast and kind of went through her, her argument, but it, it was compelling and, uh, 
if, if you're interested in that kind of thing, it, I liked it because it tied the Bible together with Babylonian culture and ideas about idols. And then, and then presented Moses as kind of a contrast of like, Hey, here's what's going on in the culture around you. But here is how Moses is like that, but better or, uh, a, a, a better is from God. Moses is God's idol. Uh, so very, very interesting book. The next three books it really get into where I was talking about having a gap in knowledge. So I, I've got a book about the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians. And I just read them in order of how they appear in the Bible in the sense of, of uh, them in, in their interaction with uh, Judah and Israel. And so uh, the book of about Assyria took 12 hours and nine minutes uh, Babylon, 10 hours and 13 minutes, and then the Persians, uh, almost 12 hours. The Assyrians was, were just so interesting in the the different kings. Uh, Ashurbanipal was probably my one thing, just his library and just how we got the Epic of Gilgamesh from his library. We got a lot of other uh, books, and, and but just how he was, he was this learned man. He wanted to be this he, he he wanted to be Gilgamesh in a way, um, but he also had this very cruel side to him as well. Uh, for the Babylonians, it was just amazing uh, with, with I think, well, with the Assyrians and the Babylonians, you, you had like this older version, like you, you had the old Babylonian and then the new Babylonian. And so when the the Babylonians go and attack Jerusalem and exile uh, the Jews from Judah to Babylon. Uh, that is the second Babylonian period. There, there was an older Babylonian. This was the new Babylonian period. So it was neat to, it was neat to, to read about this land and, and just kind of read about where the Jews would have been, what the culture would have been like with the, the beliefs and that sort of thing. So I'm glad I read that one. And then next up was, was the Persians, um, Again, just a, a fascinating culture, and and to see the artwork, the beliefs, and and then also their their interaction with the the Jews was was very very interesting. The last book in that spring semester of the great books was another kind of a guidebook, and this one again is uh, where I got fascinated by Gilgamesh, and so this one's called. Ea's duplicity in the Gilgamesh flood story. And so Ea was the god who who sent sent the flood. And uh in in the in the Gilgamesh story, there's this book looks at just like a very few lines from the Gilgamesh story and shows how uh there was this God's message to to um to the 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 character who who made it through the flood. And you could read the the warning one way, or you could read it a different way. So like one way, it would be, you're about to be blessed. But if you read it a different way, it would be, you're about, you know, there's, there's some, there's something bad is about to happen, and you've got to take action. And so it was really interesting to go through this. Uh, uh, I have not covered this one on the podcast yet, I do hope to, but uh, this, it gets into the weeds. But um, I, I just got fascinated with Gilgamesh and then um, just the flood, the flood story. So this kind of took a deep dive into that. 
Now, the next set of books are those that I read during my uh, summer break. And so I started with Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. And I, I loved this story. This one took me six hours and 49 minutes to read. It's a Pulitzer Prize winner. And the thing that I remember about this is it reminded me a lot of how Wendell Berry writes and how George MacDonald writes. And they write in such a way where you want to be these main characters and you, you see things in these characters that are, uh, they just, they make you want to be them. And so with Gilead, I paired this book with a book called Reimagining Apologetics. And the tagline for this book is The Beauty of Faith in a Secular Age. It's written by Justin Ariel Bailey. And what he does is he looks at books like Gilead by Marilyn Robinson, and he looks at uh, books written by George MacDonald and and ties a an apologetics like a um, how how do we how how does one share their faith? How does one talk about uh, faith and but uses the example of the of Gilead and books by George MacDonald to talk about apologetics. I found it very interesting. And uh, so in the podcast episode about those, I, I paired these two books together. But I, I just like that idea of, of pairing books, especially when it's kind of a novel with, um, with a book that goes into more of, of explanation about the book. Next up was a book called In Praise of Good Bookstores by Jeff Deutsch. And he is a bookstore. He, he runs a bookstore. And I am the business manager at Landmark Booksellers in Franklin, Tennessee. And so I just like reading books uh, by booksellers. And, and um, one, one thing that just immediately comes to mind is that this, this bookseller would have a table at the front of his store that was always changing, but it, it was really the main curated list of books at that bookstore. And I, I liked that idea. I want to, I, I want to do something similar at, at Landmark. And so I, I actually got this book for, for a number of the other booksellers at Landmark and the, with the idea of, of reading through it and then, and then talking about some of the ideas that are presented in this book. Next up was On Writing by C.S. Lewis. So it's, it's, it's actually a compilation of, of sayings by C.S. Lewis, but just uh, it's called On Writing and Writers, a miscellany of advice and opinions. C.S. Lewis is my favorite author, so I try to have at least one book a year of, of his. Uh, after this great books project, I, I, I hope to take a year and just read through every single thing he ever wrote. I actually visited his house this year in Oxford and uh, so I, I, I love the man. He's had a huge impact on my life, on my reading life. And so this, this particular book, it was just, it, the, the thing I remember the most is just being reminded of why I, I love C.S. Lewis so much and why uh, I, lo- I love his writing and, and why he's my favorite author. Next up is a book called Dead Fall um, by Brad Thor. And then I, I read another book by Brad Thor called Black Ice. And Brad Thor writes thrillers. And he writes, uh, he writes like one thriller a year. And the bookstore I just mentioned, Landmark Booksellers, we have a, a close connection with Brad Thor. He signs books for our customers. And um, 
and so he comes in once a year and, and when he comes in and he's signing these books, I, I get to stand next to him and, and talk to him while he's doing that. And so I, I always want to read the book that he's just written just to, to be able to talk to him about it. And so Deadfall was his book that came out this year. And um, it, it's about Ukraine and, and Russia. And, and, but he wrote it in a way that was reminiscent of a World War II story. Um, and so that, that was kind of his inspiration. And so it was, it was really neat to read it. The other reason I like reading Brad Thor is he's got a lot of connections in the intelligence and military community to where a lot of the things he's writing about are happening. And so it's kind of like a, a neat way to, to learn about some things that are happening in the world or new technologies or new methods of war or like all these different things. Um, it, it's just kind of a, a fun way to learn about them amidst reading reading a thriller. So I'll, I'll probably have a Brad Thor book each year um, with our, with our connection, and so at Landmark. And so the the next book, Black Ice, uh, book twenty seven for the year. This one uh, was uh, from a few years back, but I wanted to read it because it's something I became interested in after reading a book about Scotland a couple years ago. Uh, actually. That was part of my 2022 reading list. There's a book called Scotland 2070. And that book talked about the opening of the Arctic. Um, and so there's this, this waterway above Russia, above um, Scandinavia, and kind of starting around where Scot Scotland is. And the ice up there is melting to such a degree to where ships are able to get through there for the first time. And this is opening up new trade avenues. It's opening up new geopolitical situations, especially with Russia. And Black Ice takes place in Norway, but as in in this kind of like opening up of the Arctic. And so I just wanted to read it, uh, one, to, to, to learn a little bit about what was going on, kind of like in a fun thriller novel. And so that's why I read Black Ice. Uh, Deadfall took me seven and a half hours to read. Black Ice took me six in a half hours to read. Next book was Everything Sad is Untrue by Daniel Nyeri. And uh, I kept seeing this one pop up. I, I had heard it recommended by a ton of people. And it's the tagline on it is a, a true story. Um, and it's written, it was written in such a beautiful way that he's, uh, the, the author is, he moved from Iran um, under very, unfavorable circumstances. He moved to Oklahoma. He moved to the United States. And it's his story of, of, of that, of that move and, um, and just, you know, moving to the U S, um, as an immigrant, but he tied it to ancient writings from Persia. And it was just so fascinating and so well done. So, I, I recommend it. It, it. it was a very good story. But yeah, the one thing that sticks out is just how he tied his own story into these myths and epics from from Persia. And it was just such a beautiful, beautiful way of storytelling. Next up was Something You Once Knew by Joshua Luke Smith. Jo Joshua Luke Smith is a rapper from the United Kingdom. I saw him perform here in Nashville. And I um, uh, got to talk to him a little bit this year as well. And so I just wanted to read his book. I've, I've listened to his album quite a bit and it was, it, it was interesting. I, I don't recall one thing from the book though. Uh, so this is one of those 
situations where I, I can't recall the one thing, uh, but I do remember enjoying the book. Last up for this segment here, is, and this is the book that, that closed out the July break, the summer break, is Murder in Mesopotamia by Agatha Christie. And this one, I, the reason I wanted to read it is, is I, came, I came across it in that book about Inhetawana. And the group that discovered some of the uh, information about Inhetawana, the, the historical person of Inhetawana, uh, they were... They were tied to Agatha Christie. So Agatha Christie joined their group as they were doing these excavations in Mesopotamia. And, and then this novel was, was something that came out of that time with, uh, with these people. And so uh, it came up in that in Hedawana book, Sophus Hell wrote about it. And I was like, you know, it'd be fun. I, I like Agatha Christie. That This would be a fun one to read. And um, the thing that stuck out was just the, the, the locale of the the murder story and, and how they were on this archaeological dig. And, you know, they were, they were finding these things and they had different people who had different expertise in, in, uh, in their group. Um, this one took me five and a half hours to read and it was a delight. I, I really like Agatha Christie books and I find that they help me become a better reader because I have to pay very, very, very close attention to what's going on to, tr- to try to capture these, um, these clues of who the murderer might be. All right. So that closes out the July semester. I'm going to come back in segment four here and cover the great books that I read in my fall semester, and then also get into some of the books that I read in my winter break in December. All right, back to the great books in August. Early August, I started Herodotus's Histories, and this was one of my favorite books of the year. This one took me 35 hours and 40 minutes to read, and it was just pure delight. I, I loved this book so much. Uh, I And I shifted the order. I was supposed to start with with the Iliad at this point, but the the translation of the Iliad that I wanted to read did not come out until the end of September, and that was the Emily Wilson translation. So I started here with the histories, even though chronologically I should have read this later, but I'm really glad I did that. And, and again, it was kind of just to arrange for when the the translation of the the Iliad came out that I wanted to read. But by reading the histories first before some of the Greek writing writings, uh, it, it helped give like a, it helped give an overview and just to kind of take a step back, learn some of the areas, learn, learn some of the, the cities, the people groups, that sort of thing. And so I, I would recommend you doing the same thing if you're if you're kind of making your way through the the Greek works uh, to to put the histories further in or further at the beginning rather than later on in in the actual chronological order. So the thing I liked the most and the thing that sticks out the most about the histories by Herodotus is just his inquisitiveness and his delight in learning about all these different cultures that he came across. It was so fascinating and you could just see, you could just feel his enthusiasm in, in his writing. I, uh, I, what I want to do is, is get an audio version of that book, of the, of the histories and just listen to it every now and then, uh, throughout the rest of my life because it was so delightful. 
After that, I read Theogony and Works in Days by Hesiod. And this is, uh, so Theogony is like the, the birth of the gods. Um, kind of goes through all the different gods that there are in Greek mythology. And then Works and Days is more of like a wisdom literature type of almost a, a proverbs type of feel and theot and uh hesiod was a contemporary of herodotus and with theogony I, the the main thing that sticks out is just learning about the gods and 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 who their parents were and where they came from and what they were the God of. But it's also, I, again, I'm glad I read this before I got into some of the other Greek works because it, it give it, it gives a very good overview uh, along with some other books that I'm going to highlight just a little bit later on in this segment. Uh, but that was Theogony and Works and Days by Hesiod, a, a really short book. If I didn't mention it, the the histories took 35 hours to read. Theogony and Works and Days took a, uh, just a little under two hours. After that, I read some po- poetry by Sappho. And Sappho was a female writer, a female poet, and a lyric poet. And so she's kind of credited with taking writing from Homer's epic epic um, battles and epic war stories in, in moving into lyric poetry. And so I read two different translations of this. The first one was by uh, Carol Ann Duffy, and this was the Penguin classic Sappho, Stung with Love, Poems and Fragments. And then after that, I read Fragments of Sappho by Ann Carson. And um, the, the thing that stuck out most about Sappho was just that what we have of hers is in fragments. And that actually led to the allure of some of these poems, because you could tell they were about love, you could tell they were, they were about passionate, deep, uh, erotic love in some cases, and yet you would just, there'd be a ton of words missing. But it almost became this like, mad libs type of thing where you, you you would put in your own words in like I wonder what she was saying here. I wonder what what uh what we're missing here. And we might get it someday in the sense of we might find the full complete set somewhere. Um you know some of her poems were found in tombs of of that were in, in Egypt. And so you just never know where some of these might pop up as as more as more archaeology is is done but yeah just just this these fragments that we have some some poems just being one word and and you you see the one word or you see these these different sentences and you just kind of wonder what what was the rest of it um but yeah just a a neat neat uh poetry to, to read through next book i got was the scythians and this is a book that i did not end up finishing for the year i actually revisited it a little bit in december here but it it went along the line of when i was reading those books about babylon persia and in in books about in that book about the assyrians is just i realized i didn't know much about the scythians they were they're setting they're starting to show up in some of these books especially herodotus's histories and i i just wanted to learn more about them i i remembered them being mentioned in the in the bible and so I just wanted to, uh, to learn more. So the thing that I do recall and the thing I remember from this book is just their elaborate, um, burials and what they would bury with the, 
the people and yeah, it was just, it was really interesting. The Scythians were a nomad people. And, um, and so, yeah, it, it, in the, this book was by Barry Cunliffe and, uh, just a beautiful book. And, and so a lot of pictures with, with, uh, their artwork and, and, um, sculptures, gold sculptures, that kind of thing. After the Scythians, I read two books right before I got into the Iliad. So I knew that the Iliad was about to be released. And so uh, I just needed a couple other books to fill in the time before that end of September release of the Iliad. So I started with Mythology by Edith Hamilton. And then I read another Edith Hamilton book called The Greek Way. And I am so glad that I read these two books. So Mythology by Edith Hamilton pairs very well with Theogony by Hesiod. And what Edith Hamilton does in mythology is she captures all of the stories about the gods, uh, because you'll, you'll come across just kind of a fragment in the Iliad or the Odyssey or some of the other Greek works, and or, or even in Ovid um, and, and other writers. And what she did is compiled all of that information into one thing. So you can read about Hermes or you can read about Zeus or you can read about the different gods, but you see the full story as opposed to just a small portion of what you get in a lot of the other works. So this is a very important book to read. I would suggest before you get into to some of the other Greek works, it's also a great resource. Uh, I keep this book close by now as I'm getting into some of the other Greek works, because this, this just gives like an overview, a quick reference point. Uh, oh, what did this God, what, what are they the God of? Where did they come from? Who are their parents? Um, uh, what are some main things about them? This is a great resource for that. And then the Greek way just gets into more of of uh, the way of thinking and the way of life of the Greeks. And again, it's just very helpful before getting into some of the, the Greek works. So mythology took me nine hours and 46 minutes to read. The Greek way took me eight and a half uh, hours to, to read. Now, enter Homer. I started the Iliad, and what was fantastic, I, I kept mentioning that end of September date, Landmark Booksellers, where I'm the business manager, we got this book a few days before the actual release date, and it coincided with the exact day that I finished The Greek Way and was ready to start the Iliad. So I thought I was going to have another couple days there where um, I would have to wait for the Iliad, but I go to the, to the store, the book came, uh, and, and I, I was able to get it and I started reading it right away. And it was one of the best things I've ever read. It, it truly was. And I, I loved the Emily Wilson translation. Um, it took me 23 hours and 13 minutes to read one thing. I, a ton of things that stuck out about the Iliad, but one thing that, that, uh, really stuck out in, especially with Emily Wilson's translation tied back to Sappho and in Sappho, uh, again, it's love poetry and, and in some of the writing about, uh, sexual encounters that she, she would use the term limb loosening. So that it, uh, during the act, the, the limbs would loosen. Um, and then in the Iliad, Emily Wilson would, would translate in the same way when a soldier would die or someone would die, that their limbs were loosened. And, uh, I found out later on that, um, that, that was actually, um, that, that there was a connection there where 
those that term was used in both those places. So it wasn't just like Emily Wilson um, translating it a certain way. Like that that idea was in both places. But it's just it's a brilliant connection point between Sappho with the love poetry and the Iliad, this this war epic, and how you have that same term being used uh, on the love the the sexual encounter but then also on on war and someone dying and but with the iliad like the whole war starts from the kidnapping of of helen and so in the sexual aspect of that so you, you've got this connection between sex and war anyway and then just to, for that term to connect the two the limb loosening i thought was just was just amazing um so yeah, the the Iliad, uh, uh, incredible. the The guidebook that I paired with that is the book called "The War That Killed Achilles" by Caroline Alexander. And Caroline Alexander, I actually had planned to read the the Iliad translation that she had done, uh, but I ended up reading Emily Wilson's instead. But so Caroline Alexander has a translation of the Iliad, but this book, The War That Killed Achilles, just kind of gives some of the background, um, goes into more of the historical, like was was the Trojan War, was it real? Did it actually happen? Um, those kind of things. So what, what my thought when I was reading The War That Killed Achilles is this is a great guidebook for the Iliad, and it's almost like being a part of a reading group as you go through the Iliad. So I, as with anything, start with a great book. I would recommend that for the Iliad. Don't even read the introduction to to whatever version of the Iliad you read. Just start right on with the epic, then go back and read the introduction. And then uh, I would also suggest reading The War That Killed Achilles. So that was my guidebook for the Iliad. Um, after the Iliad, I went right into the Odyssey. I was actually part of a tutorial where we were reading this. So, so it was four students and then a, a professor. And so I was going through these books with them, and that added so much to the experience. So I read Emily Wilson's translation of the Odyssey, and I, I wanted to read the same translator. And uh, so, yeah, so I read the Odyssey next. Then I read... Uh, oh, so that, that took me 15 hours and 13 minutes to read the Odyssey. Uh, I had read the Odyssey once before. I had never read the Iliad before this year, but the Odyssey I hadn't re read in 20 years. And so going back to it after that amount of time and just not really remembering much, um, the thing that really stuck about, about the Odyssey was just the, I guess, the hospitality aspect and just how... Every place that that Odysseus went, there there was this. How was he treated, and and what did they do? Was was Odysseus a good guest? Was he treated well by the people? Um, it was kind of fun to to pull that thread throughout the Odyssey. Next up, I read the Homeric hymns, and there's debate as to whether Homer actually wrote them. He probably didn't, but they probably came from, uh, it's more like his style of writing. But again, these go through uh, the gods. And so this is a good companion to Theogony by Hesiod, and also to Mythology by Edith Hamilton. This just goes through some of the gods. So these are hymns uh, about the, the main Greek gods. The one, I, I loved some of these so much. 
So a couple things. One, I just I loved these stories. The one about Hermes stood out the most. Hermes is the the uh, the god of thieves, and uh, on his second day of birth, he's already stealing things from from Apollo, uh, another god. And these these stories were so delightful. The one about uh, Aphrodite was was also one that I that I really enjoyed. But what what else what also really stuck out in in this uh, the the Homeric hymns is that I was getting lost in the reading of it. So at the, at the beginning, I just, I was lost. And uh, so I started over and I'm really glad I did. And what I also did is there was a bunch of notes in the back of the book that would correspond with what you're reading in the Homeric hymns. And I just, I looked up every single thing I was reading. And so I, I took it very slowly and that that just changed everything. I was able to understand it. And uh, I'm really glad I did that. And so as part of this reading project, I'm always trying to experiment. And I, I just, I realized something when reading this book that if, if I'm not understanding it at first, I either need to start over, or I need to go to the guidebook, or I need to do something that I just take a step back and, and go into it again. And in the past, I just would have kept reading just to get through the book and I, I don't want to do that. I, I really want to take the time and, and make sure that I understand the book. So that was the Homeric Hymns. Next up, I read a, a book, uh, not really part of the great books, but it's potentially good, could be considered one. But it's, it's one kind of like an essay that uh, St. Basil wrote. And he wrote this in 300 AD. So this is well past the other time uh, that I'm reading these of these great books, but he wrote a, a book called "Address to Young Men on Reading Greek Literature," and it's kind of like uh, it's it, it asks the question: Should Christians read Greek literature? Uh, what what this author says uh, works by the pagans. Should should Christians read these things? Is there any value? And so this is an argument to read these great works, to to read these great books, and then the value that can be gathered from from them. And so I just wanted to read this before getting into a lot of the other Greek works. And so I, I read uh, that. It was it was a short essay. It took me a little over an hour to read it. As part of uh, reading Homer, I wanted to read the Iliad and the Odyssey twice. That may be overkill, but uh, these are such important works. I know I'm going to see them show up over and over again. And so I really want, I wanted them to get deep into my bones. I wanted to know the story well, be, be, be confident in, in understanding the story, being able to repeat the story and then remembering the story from when, when I'm reading other books. So I, I, I set to read the, the Odyssey and the Iliad again. Uh, I did get through the Odyssey. I did not get through the Iliad a second time. And so that'll be the first great book in 2024 in March. But uh, I did get through the Odyssey a second time. And, and the, the second translator I interacted with was Robert Fitzgerald. And so I read the Robert Fitzgerald translation of the Odyssey. And reading it a second time through and, and with this translation, the thing that stuck out is that Robert Fitzgerald translated the any writing uh, or any sayings by the god Hermes in in rhyming po poetry, and that that was not the case with any of the other of of the other words in this book, and I just found that to be a fascinating translation choice, and something that that really made me fall in love with 
the, uh, this translation of the Odyssey. And again, it was just delightful to read the Odyssey again. This reading took 11 hours and 46 minutes. And I paired that with a companion to Homer's Odyssey. So this was a book by James Morrison. And so what I would do is I would read the companion guide uh, for that book. And then I would go to the Odyssey and read that book. And so it just kind of helped in my understanding of the of the Odyssey, some things that I just am not smart enough to to capture, some things that were that that come out a lot more if you know the Greek. And so this this author would talk about those things. And so that was a very helpful companion guide if you need one for the Odyssey. Now I'm entering the month of December. And I'm on winter break, so these are non-great books in the in the sense of they're not part of the Great Books Project, but these are just ones from my my uh, to-be-read pile again. So I started off with a book called The Angel Knew Papa and the Dog by Douglas McKelvey. Uh, Doug McKelvey wrote a book that I read last year. He wrote a novella uh, as part of the Wingfeather Tales book. It's the last tale in that book, and it takes up almost half the book, and it is one of the greatest things I've ever read. I have cried once reading a book, and it, uh, it was when I read that book by Doug McKelvey. So I wanted to read uh, something else that he had written. So I picked up this book and it was, it was a delightful story. Uh, the angel knew Papa and the dog. I just, I, I can visualize what happened in that story. This, uh, this, this girl stuck in a house, there's this flood. And so just the vivid way that Doug writes and he, he's, I, I love him as a writer. I, 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 I know him. I keep when I see him, I tell him to keep writing. And uh, so this was a this was a fun book to read. The Angel Knew Papa and the Dog. I want to read it to my daughters. It's it's a it's a book you can read to your kids, uh, but it's also as an adult something that you can get a lot out of. After that, I read the book of the Dun Cow. This is a book by Walter Wangerin. Uh, and uh, I it's one that I'd seen pop up a lot. A lot of people recommended it, and. And it's uh, it's kind of like in the vein of Animal House or something, where where it's a story about animals, um, but in this case, their Dun Cow is is kind of the the god in in the in the book, but there's this rooster and uh, power struggles and and all sorts of stuff. Like it, it was really an amazing story um, and, and a fun one to read. Uh, next up after that was Glipwood Forest, the Ranger's Guide to Glipwood Forest. And this is part of the Wingfeather Saga. And I loved the Wingfeather Saga when I read it last year. And this was just the latest book. Uh, it's written by Andrew Peterson. I, I love his writing so much because it is so funny and it is so clever. And just to think about the 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 ideas that that this man has thought of for this this series of books is just incredible. So um, that that was a fun one. After that, I read Elon Musk by Walter Isaacson. This was uh, one of my favorite books for the year. Uh, first off, I just love Walter Isaacson. Second off, I did not know very much about Elon Musk and what he was working on in, in just other than kind of a very top level. And so this book gets into it. It gets into the good, the bad, the ugly. I learned a ton. Uh, it was just one of those books where I felt like I should be reading it at the time I was reading it. I've given it to other people 
Uh, I bought that, bought it for them for Christmas. I, I just think it's one of those important books, um, especially with just technology and what's going on with technology. This is a good one for you to read in, in that sense. Um, yeah, the, the one thing that, that stuck out is just um, how many decisions Elon Musk makes in kind of just like a spur of the moment type thing that, that end up changing technology and the way things are done. It's just, it's astounding. After that, I read Ransom by David Moloff. And this is a novel that is kind of a reimagining of the Iliad, but a very small portion of the Iliad where Priam goes to get his dead son's body back from Achilles. And it's just, it's a, it's a heart-wrenching scene when you read the Iliad, but this kind of like expands that into a novel of what would it have been like for Priam? What did it mean for him to, to go uh, with just one other person and to not be wearing his, his kingly his king outfit uh to just go in in what it, what did all that mean what did it mean for him to ransom his son this was a beautiful story if you've read the iliad if you love the iliad uh please read this book ransom by david uh maloof it, it was it was excellent after that gilgamesh among us this one took five hours and 50 minutes and again i <laughs> I just, I loved Gilgamesh, so I wanted to read more and more. This is a book suggested by Sophus Hell. And it's just all the, all the parts that Gilgamesh has showed up in culture since his rediscovery in 18, in the 1870s. So what operas have been written about Gilgamesh, what novels, what um, short stories, all, and, and this author just goes through all those things. It was really interesting to, to see that and just how Gilgamesh has been portrayed, um, how his story has been changed in different renderings of, of the story and, and things like that. Um, just, uh, yeah, very interesting. Last one here is Gilgamesh's Snake. And this is a work of poetry by Garib Iskander. And he is from Iraq. And uh, he wrote this poem. And it ties Gilgamesh together with the war in Iraq and the devastation and the destruction. And it was it was very interesting. It, it, it was it was short. It just took 10 minutes to read. But uh, again, Sophus Hell suggested this to me and uh, just kind of digging deep into that Gilgamesh rabbit hole. I, I just wanted to keep learning more and more. Well, I just received like not just not two out, but two hours ago, the final book that I will be reading for this year. And that is Paul in the Resurrection of Israel, Jews, Former Gentiles, Israelites by Jason Staples. I read his book um, two years ago, The Idea of Israel in Second Temple Judaism. And then this is his second book that kind of ties off um, from that first book, Paul in the Resurrection of Israel. So I'm going to get started on this tomorrow morning. I'm going to try to finish it before the end of the year. Um, I'm recording this on December 27. So I have, I have a few days left in the year. I'm going to try to get through this. And then I hope to talk to Jason on a podcast episode coming up about about this book. But uh, this is probably the one I'm most excited about reading. Um, uh, I, I knew it was coming out 
sometime in 2023 or 2024, uh, but I've been very excited about that book. Can't wait to get started on that. I want to mention two other books that I read that that I uh, did not necessarily highlight uh, when I was reading them um, in the sense that they weren't um, part of my original list of books that I was going to read this year. The first one was How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises by by Spencer Clavin. And Spencer asked me to be on his podcast. And so I wanted to read this book before I talked to him on his podcast. So I kind of, I bought this, I read it really quickly. I snuck it in between some of the great books. And, um, but this was, this was excellent. And I enjoyed talking to him on his podcast as well. And then the other book I I just finished actually this morning is called Uprooted by Grace Olmstead, Recovering the Legacy of the Places We've Left Behind. And I met Grace in October this year, and she was telling me about her book. And so I bought it then she she signed it. And it's it's really neat. It's uh, she grew up in in Idaho. Uh, she lives on the East Coast now. She is a journalist. Um, she lives in Virginia. Uh, does some work in Washington D.C. But this is a book about growing up in Idaho, growing up, and uh, her her family, her kind of extended family being in the farming community, and her questioning now, just like should I go back? Should I go back to my roots? Should I should I buy some sort of a farm and, and go back to that? Or should I, should I stay on the East coast? Um, so she kind of brings in this personal, personal tension of, of being uprooted, but just ties that together with the farming community. She interviews all these farmers in the, in Idaho, where she came from. It's just a fascinating look at kind of the macro level, the micro level of farms disappearing, especially family farms, and what what does that mean? What does that mean for communities? Uh, can can that be regained? Should it be regained? And but she kind of ties it in with her own life and her own struggles of of do I should I go back to the place that I grew up? So this was uh, the the last actually the, the book I thought was going to kind of finish out the year before uh, Jason's book arrived today, and and so I'll try to read that for the rest of the year. Well, that that closes out the books that I read this year. Uh, I've got one more segment here coming up where I, I I kind of take a step back and talk about some of the overarching ideas, my top top books, um, that sort of thing for this 2023 reading year. All right, the final segment here. I always close out my final segments with the one thing, my one key takeaway from the book. And I want to do a one thing for this entire year. And my one thing would have to be discovering in Hedawana and discovering the new oldest author. And just the timing of that uh, being one month after I started reading the great books to, to come across this new oldest author, but just kind of the, the broader scope of that that we we have a lot of tablets that have been discovered that have been found by archaeologists and they're sitting in museums and we just don't have enough people who know cuneiform to be able to read some of these tablets and ai may be able to help just kind of at least initially identify what the general idea of some of these tablets might be and then kind of uh, some someone could take it from from there 
perhaps a little easier than than starting from scratch. So it, there there is hope that AI might be able to 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 help with these things, but there's still just the 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 lack of enough trained people to be able to read these tablets. So they're sitting in museums, but that's such an exciting thing to ponder that we might have the full edition of Gilgamesh. We might have the full edition of um, of other works, or we might be exposed to other works from ancient Mesopotamia, from Babylon, from Samaria, from these different areas. We might discover more, or we might already have them and be able to, to, to read more. So we might find a new oldest author, even older than in Hedawana. We might find other exciting stories or epics that we've, we've never read or have been lost for two to 3,000 years, 4,000, 5,000 years even. And what, uh, with that being my one thing, it's such an exciting time to be alive, to be rediscovering some of these these stories that have been lost for for ages. That translation of Enhedawana, there were, there were other translations, but not not a full translation of all of her works that came out just this year, twenty twenty three. That's just incredible. So that that's my one thing, uh, my overarching one thing from from this year is just uh, discovering Enhedawana, but just the ramifications of that of. Uh, there might be more things in in our lifetime that that we'll be learning, we'll be discovering that uh, is it, that is contained in some of these tablets. So let me just share my top five books for the year, uh, and I'll go in order from five uh, to to number one. So five is the book Elon Musk by Walter Isaacson. That is the only non great book that made the list. But again, it's just one of those books that I thought was important to be reading. Uh, just as wh- whether you like the guy or hate the guy, it, it, he's making a tremendous impact in a variety of areas. And it's important to, to know about those areas. I felt this book gave me a good basis to in which to go from in which to learn more from and and even hearing news stories now i i kind of have a basis of what is going on at a at a at at least a basic level with with a lot of his companies number four was the odyssey uh just epic i just I, i loved it number three herodotus's histories and number one and two, it, it's it's been really hard for me to choose between these two, two, which one was the best. But for now, I'm putting the Iliad at number two and the Epic of Gilgamesh at number one. And and I perhaps enjoyed the Iliad more or or thought more highly of it as a as a as a work. But I think the reason Epic of Gilgamesh's number one is just that it was the first book I came across. First thing I read for this great books project. And it was amazing. It, it just sparked so many different interests in me and really got me excited about continuing on in this great books project. Um, I can't get get enough of Gilgamesh. I was planning to read it again at the end of this year, just uh, because you can get through it in a couple of hours and, I just want to keep learning more and more about that epic. Uh, here are some um, just categories. And so the most fun book I thought was Herodotus's Histories, the most interesting Elon Musk. The biggest shock was Gilgamesh, the greatest surprise in Hedawana, and the deepest, just at a deep, deep level, uh, the Iliad.
Some changes I made this year were uh, that I had Snow Crash, that book. I had that on my December list. I read, I think, 60-something pages. I just It just couldn't get into it, and so I shelved that one. Um, I, I had another book that was uh, that tied Homer together with the book of Mark, and I shelved that one, just kind of ran out of, out of time. I added all those Egyptian books, and then I ended up moving the second reading of the Iliad to next year. I just ran out of time to be able to do that, but I, I do want to read the Iliad for a second time. And so I'll read the Robert Fitzgerald translation of the Iliad. Uh, next up here, I just want to kind of highlight a few overarching ideas or insights from this first year of, of reading through the great books. And first is just the, how exciting these books are, how, how utterly amazing and good they are. And there's a reason they are great books. Uh, they are books that uh, some of them I've read more than once, just just even this year. But there are books that I could see myself returning to. Uh, I mean, it'd be amazing on a yearly basis. It, that won't happen just with the other reading I want to do. But there are books that I could read over and over again. You could read over and over again and get something new every single time, uh, pull a different thread every single time. And so what a fantastic year. This this is the best year of reading I've ever had. And, and a large part of that was just starting with these great books. Um uh, I, another kind of just overarching thing is that I changed the order of my reading for some of the books, and that was out of the necessity of being able to read Emily Wilson's translation of the Iliad. So I changed some things around out of reverse chronological order of going from oldest to newest, um, but that ended up being very good. I, I read Sappho, I read Herodotus, I read Hesiod, and I'm glad about that change because it helped in my other reading. And so I've, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot just in, in the order in which I read these, these books. Uh, I, I want to start with a great book, but uh, and, and I want to read them in chronological order, but sometimes it's better to to have a book that that gives some of the overview before before going deeper. Um, I've I found the guidebook piece to be a huge benefit to reading through the great books, especially since I'm doing this on my own. The guidebooks that I've chosen, most of them have been just excellent, and I'm glad I'm doing that to not just to to do the the great book but to to have this other book that either i i learn about the author of it i i learn about the cultural context different things like that that's been a huge benefit so far uh and then the books like mythology in the greek way these art books that i got for egypt those have all really helped me understand better the original great work that I, that I read. Um, uh, just kind of a, a neat thing that, that happened this year is that I was able to do a couple of trips and one was to Edinburgh and one was to London. And so in Edinburgh, I went to, um, the Edinburgh museum and they had a work of, uh, of, from, from the Assyrians, uh, with Ashurbanipal. And it was just, it was awesome. Cause I was reading about this and then here, you know, here, here it is. And then I went to the British museum and I just spent, uh, uh as much time as I could in the Egypt section, in the Assyrian section. Um, but, uh, my wife is a singer songwriter. She had three albums 
come out or two albums come out this year as she's recording a third and uh she goes to the uk for for music and and we go a few times together as as a family as well and then she'll do other trips just just on her own but on these family trips we'll, we'll probably be going each year to to edinburgh and to into london and so as i'm reading these great books i, I just kind of hope to be able to go to the british museum and, and really focus on the areas i'm reading at that time so that gets me into t- to 2024 uh into next year's reading so i'm continuing on with the great books i'm continuing on with starting with the bible i'm going to read the Alt- robert alter translation of the old testament and then i've got uh, a new testament planned for for um that those first two months as well uh next year will be the year of the greeks so if i make it back to the british museum i will spend my time in in the Greece section, but uh, I'll start off by reading the Iliad, and then I'm going through the three trage- tragedy writers. I'm going with uh, the comedy writer Aristophanes, and uh, and then I've got Thucydides in there, Xenophon. I've got uh, it's just it's a hoping to kind of get through most of the Greek writers next year, and then after that uh, we'll be going to Rome in the Latin writers. So uh, I can't wait. This year was just so much fun. I, I loved it so much and just can't wait to keep going in the, the great books. So I'll, I'll close out this year with, with Jason's book um, and, and, and then hope to have him on the podcast. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for following along. Thank you for following along with this project. And if you're still listening to this point, thank you for your support. Thank you for for listening. Um, I hope you are a reader. I hope that uh, the, these this has sparked some ideas of books that you may want to read. If if you're having trouble getting into the habit of reading, please email me, eric at booksoftitans.com. That's eric with a K, so E-R-I-K at booksoftitans.com. And I'd love to answer any questions you have. I have a ton of resources and, and guides on the Books of Titans website that can help you find the best books and to create your own reading list. You can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. I highlight what I'm reading. I try to share what I'm learning. That helps me to remember what I'm learning, but then it also uh, is is just so helpful in the sense of it, it might give you ideas for books to read or you might see ideas I'm sharing and think, yeah, I'd, I'd like to learn more about that. Uh, this kind of closes out 2023 for me and, and I'll start in the new year. Uh, I, I probably will do an episode about the Bible at some point. I usually try to get Jason on to ask him questions about the Bible and then, uh, hope to talk to him about his book. Hope to cover the Enuma Elish coming up and also that book about the Gilgamesh flood story. So until then, keep reading, keep learning and keep listening. I'm out. <laughs>